Hello and welcome to the Wagtails podcast. My name is Megan Corcoran and I'm the director of the Wagtail Institute. In this podcast, I invite some pretty cool people to come and have a conversation with me on all things trauma, healing, education and well-being. I started this podcast as I realized some of the biggest learning that has happened in my career has been through meeting really great people that are working in the field and having great conversations with them. In this episode, I actually take the seat of the guest and Shane Hood kindly jumps back in for a second time in the studio, but this time he gets to fire all the tough questions my way. We talk about why I started the Wagtail Institute, where the name came from, and really using values to guide all the decisions made in business and in our careers so far. We really hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Okay, we're recording. Are we? Yep. Oh my God, is this starting right now? Okay. You're in control. Oh my God, stop. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to keep this bit, by the way. (laughs) Don't even do it. Hey, Meigs, how are you? I'm good, Shane. How are you? Very good. So the tables have turned. They have, and I'm so nervous. Oh, you're so nervous. Like We were just talking about both being nervous about this, but no, it's going to be fun. I'm... um, I'm super keen to talk to you. Yeah, I'm and so like, glad you're my host as well. It's very, very nice to have you here. It feels like I was just here. It was a while ago. It feels like it wasn't that long ago, though. Like, I think it's like yeah. two months ago, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, look, two months to me. I'm a parent, so it's like <laughs> time is just, yeah, I don't even know what time is to me right now. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so how's the podcast been going? I've been listening to a few and it's, it seems like a year you're catching fire, getting a bit popular. Um, oh, look, I'm not too worried about tracking the numbers, but yeah. I will say I'm loving the conversations though. Yeah, cool. Um, and I know it's made me like aware that I know so many amazing people doing so much amazing work. Yeah, awesome. Um, so like I'm really enjoying recording every episode and just like, yeah, learning from incredible people. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. That's really cool. We've been talking about it a little while about... Because um, I, I was thinking about creating a podcast and mm. I was like, oh, and seeing you do it, it's just like, I think I'm looking at it like, is, you know, what an incredible thing to do. But also, um, I think we spoke about it, the incredible amount of work it takes. It does take To a actually bit of work. put together a podcast. Yeah. Wild, yeah isn't it? For yeah. sure. And yeah. I think it's also just the like prepping the guest, making sure the guest yeah. is ready and feeling comfortable. Yeah. Holding space for the guest. And yeah. Then, you yeah. know, and then doing the post work and yeah. getting it out there. Yeah. It's cool though. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's get into it, eh? <sighs> Got some right. questions, right? <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Okay. Well, you ask this question of everybody at the start of a podcast. So I'm going to ask you the same question. Who is Megan right now at this point in time? It's such a big question. I feel like I'm so Mm. mean to ask people that question. Um, Yeah, so Megan, um, it's interesting. Megan at the moment is um, about 12 months into launching a business, I guess, a um, sole trader type business called Mm. Wagtail Institute. Um, so yeah, I think my whole career has kind of shaped, um, my journey so far and the decisions I've made, um, at the core of everything I do, I'm really passionate about, um, just young people having the right to have, Mm. um, a magical childhood, not just a a childhood, but a magical childhood. Mm. Um, and so every decision I kind of make is really based around that. Um, so yeah, I launched Wagtail Institute, um, to really support people that are working with vulnerable young people, young people mm. that have had some pretty challenging experiences. Um, they might be experiencing disadvantage, living out of home care, um, maybe have been kicked out of mainstream schools. Those young people that really society sometimes doesn't understand so much. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm really passionate about supporting the people working in those spaces to, mm. one, be trauma-informed, um, and two, just really know how to look after their own well-being so they can show up as best as possible for those young people. Um, yeah, so every decision I make, I guess, is just really around that. Mm, mm. Um, so prior to launching Wagtail, um, I worked in alternative schools with these young people directly um, mm. for 12 years. So I was a teacher for eight and then a school leader for four. Um, and I missed the kids all the time. So it was a really mm. tough decision to step mm. out and do what I do now. Um, but I like to think that what I'm doing now will impact more young people. So while I might not get to see them and interact with them every single day like I used to, mm, um, mm. it's my hope that they're getting the best out of the staff that are are doing that work with them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you still get an opportunity to connect with young people? Um, a little bit. And I don't know if I was going to talk about this in the podcast or not, but I'm actually currently going through the process um, 
to be registered to be a respite foster carer Um, because I do miss having the young people around every day and I have capacity to do it so um, yeah so I'm really looking forward to being able to provide that pretty soon as well because yeah I know that I can do it and I want to do it Um, and yeah it'd be cool to have a young person come and stay and yeah hang out yeah what inspired you to do that Oh, good question. Mm. Um, to be honest, I think because I am in such a different situation now, mm. like for mm. 12 years working directly with young people, mm. um, you get so much energy from that work um, mm. and they're so inspiring to be around. And um, yeah, I just I just know that I have capacity to provide that in my home now for, for a young person um, yeah, because I'm right. not doing the face-to-face work every day. I don't have that same exhaustion that I'd come home mm. and be like, mm. I need to be quiet. I need to be calm at home i now mm, mm. find my work days pretty calm <laughs> mm, um so mm. now it's like you know i can bring that energy into the home yeah great, great yeah great awesome yeah. awesome yeah so tell me a bit about wagtail like wagtail. it's a you know it's when you we've we spoke about you know when you made this well, i shouldn't even say made this transition you were talking about this for for a while mm. um leading up to it um, but tell me about where you're at now. What's what's Wagtail about? Yeah, good question. Um, yes, yeah, so I guess like you and I started talking about it a while ago. Mm, mm. Um, it was always an idea of mine, I think, um, was to always just sort of give it a go, working for myself mm. and sharing what I know or what I think can work in these spaces mm. and learning from people that are working in these spaces. It's a constant learning cycle. Mm. Like I wouldn't say I go in and preach what to do. I think every client I work with and every group I work with, I learn so much from mm. and it just betters my my practice as a consultant as well. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, so we talked about it a really long time ago and um, I made a commitment though at the time to make sure I stayed at the school I was at, mm. um, especially when COVID hit. I was like, there's no way I can mm. leave in the middle of this crisis. Mm. Um, mm. And yeah, I just really need to be there for the young people and staff at the time and, and wait for a good time to actually... Uh, really work on what I wanted to work on. So it was a long, long journey and a lot of thought went into it. Mm, mm. Um, and I see every day as an experiment. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, I don't think, yeah, I think the, the process with Wagtail Institute is very much an experiment that's refining all the time. Um, but yeah, ultimately I, I'm working with some pretty cool clients, um, getting to interact with a lot of teachers and training them on trauma-informed practice. Um, a lot around behavior as well. I'm mm. a little bit triggered by the word behavior. Yeah. Um, I like to think about the human interaction element of the work mm. um, and just mm. really refining that um, and supporting young people to have social skills to, you know, to navigate the environments they're in. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm doing a lot of work around behavior at the moment um, and then really passionate about staff well-being. So, yeah. yeah, working with some spaces around how to really look after the practitioner well-being. Um, yeah, and then interestingly as well, I also lecture at Monash University around wellbeing too. So it's kind of a few different hats and few blends going on. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, but when I started Wagtail as well, I didn't even really have the name. <laughs> the name came recently. Um, yeah. So I was kind of working under my own name initially. Um, but yeah, a bit of a journey. I really wanted to name... Um, Wagtail after like, well, I didn't have the name, but I wanted to name my business um, in a way that allowed me to be responsive to whatever work I get. I didn't mm-hmm. want to give it a construct and call it something to do with well-being or something to do with trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted it to be able to be in the field in whatever capacity it needed to be in. Um, but I also wanted it to represent something about my my, mis- my vision and mission um, as well. And so it sounds a little bit obscure. I know it's like named after a mm. bird and it's like, you know, what's that about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but to be honest, I actually named that after my grandparents. Um, mm. Because when I think about young people having a magical childhood and that that's what I think every child deserves to have, Mm. um, I think back to my grandparents providing me for that. Mm. Um, And yeah, interestingly, um, my grandma used to, every time I wagtail, I don't know if people are aware of the bird. It's an Australian bird. Um, But anytime she saw that wagtail bird, she always sung a song Mm. um, about the wagtail bird. Um, And so, yeah, when I was like kind of brainstorming names for the business, I, um, yeah, Wagtail Institute kind of landed and I went, that's, that's a really beautiful way to one, represent my, my vision and mission in the name of the business Mm. um, and just honor the, the people that gave me my magical childhood too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you telling me about that and, um, you know, hearing about it again, it's I, I'm getting that that same feeling. Yeah. That it just comes from a sense of realness. Yeah, like, yeah. That yeah. I just, I just love that. Mm. I love that because I think it's so important in your work that you, you know, you wear that like a like a badge because it's a thing that carries you through. Yeah. Day to day, you, you know, like oh, for it's, sure. it's yeah. 
you know, I don't know, you say business name, but it's can be it's a lot more than that. When oh, you, definitely. You're driven by a particular mission. Yeah, definitely. And it's so nice to actually like even when you get a new client or a yeah. booking coming through and I just kind of can look at it through the lens of, you know, is this going to align with giving young people a magical very cool. childhood? Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Very yeah. cool. So what do you think is your favourite part so far in the last 12 months? What do you think is your favourite part of the work? I know it's like you're, <laughs> you're just going into it, but yeah. 12 months in, what do you think are the the highlights for you right now? Mm, good question. Um, yeah, it's such a good question. I think it's the constant learning. I know that might yeah. sound really strange, um, but I feel like I've learned more in this 12 months um, than any other 12 months before. Mm, and I, maybe mm. it's because I'm open to it and I'm, I'm more, have more capacity to learn right now mm, than, mm. Um, to be honest, anyone working in schools right now. I absolutely care about what's going on mm. for you because that is a tough space to be. Mm. Um, and I just don't think I was learning at the same rate while I was in leadership roles at school. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so I think it's a constant learning. Like I think I'm constantly learning how to do this work better myself as well. Mm, um, mm. So I get to interact with some pretty cool people doing this amazing work. Mm, mm. Um, and I've learned way more in this 12 months and refined what I offer as well. Mm. So I feel like I'm a little bit more responsive to, to what's going on in spaces now because I'm, I'm getting better at leaning into the listening and the learning mm. um, of what's going on in different spaces. Mm, um, so yeah. I'd have to say the podcast is also definitely yeah, a bit of a right. highlight as well. So I, may, I know that that may not um, yeah, bring in a lot of income yet, <laughs> mm, 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 <laughs> um, but it's so nice to like learn, learn from people and have time to learn from it from people yeah taking the time to do it yeah i've really liked what you said before about um wagtail being like a working experiment Mm. like this i think that's how sometimes some of the most sort of beautiful things get created Mm. or or i don't know but like i don't want to sound corny like but um i you know being in business myself i find i found it very similar yeah that it's like an experiment Mm. you know it feels like that like um you're just trying things um i used to try and uh, i used to say to people that i was more like a hide gun you know like you know called into tough situations for Mm. but for these reasons like because this is this is the lens i'm always going to look through um you know, strengths-based or self-determined, all of those kind of things, that a lot of the things that we align with. Um, but when you're talking about experimentation, what does that mean for you when you sort of <laughs> say, I'm coming into this and it's an experimental process? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's an interesting thing because I think when I first like set out to start working for myself, mm. um, I was a little bit rigid in what I thought I would offer. Yeah. Um, and then it, and then you start getting requests for things that weren't even on your website or that um, you didn't have listed as your area of expertise. Yeah. Um, but someone's heard that you can do that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> or they've been like, you know, you worked in an alternative school. We could probably learn this from you. Mm, mm, um, mm. So, yeah, it became more about being responsive and being aware that, you know, like get rid of that rigid feeling and actually allow myself to lean into what's emerging for me and also the field at the mm, same time. Mm, mm. Um, and then I think the rest of it too, I guess I'm new to business as well. So like, I think people who are good at business would probably laugh at me saying <laughs> business is an experiment. It's probably a dangerous, a dangerous experiment for some people. Yeah. Um, but even just that element of it too, it's just constantly kind of, um, I think it allows me to be less attached to the outcome in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I call it an experiment, it's it's less heavy than saying it's a business. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of just allowing myself to actually play with it yeah. and have a bit more fun with it and like get rid of that rigid feeling that can come if we put too much of a business lens on something. Um, just remembering that like I love the work. Yeah. Um, and I'm more than happy to connect with people in the field doing amazing work and respond however they need. Yeah. Um, and that's how I saw it, sort of see it as an experiment where there's a bit of playfulness to it in a way. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's it. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? Sort yeah. of like whenever I've been in business myself, I always just sort of, I set goals for the year and what yeah. I want to achieve for the year and all of that. And it's, it's so funny. It's so, it's just, you, you come to the end of the year and it's just the whole years look completely different yeah. to the way you've seen it. it yeah, and I almost sure. found that, not 
so useful and mm. anybody in business that listening to this would probably be <laughs> screaming at me right yeah. now like going how are you not projecting this or project or doing that but yeah it's in our work it'll it can all change in a phone call oh for sure you know, i mean i even just took one a couple of days ago yeah, and right. it's um definitely a client i didn't anticipate getting mm. um but it's so exciting to me yeah yeah and i'm like you know if i if that was on my plan my and i wanted to stick to the plan well then i i wouldn't have this amazing client that i'm about to take on that's it yeah that's it yeah. that's it and it's funny like you you when you work solo you you can be a part of tenders that you don't even know that you're a part of yet do, do, <laughs> yeah, do you know what yeah. i mean like i got a yeah. call the other day and they're like so we've put you forward for this yeah yeah tender we yeah. really hope that you do it and, I, and yeah. it happened to be really awesome yeah yeah but it's like you don't know these things yeah. and it's like how could have i planned that at the start of yeah. the year you, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean yeah. like so yeah. um I, I don't know what you're like but i found that i I set more values-based goals mm, at the start mm. of the year than business-based goals. Yeah. So again, people listening to yeah. <laughs> be a little business oriented and be like, you fucking hippie or something. <laughs> like, you know, or, you know, they be like, oh, you're more in touch with your feelings and your business. But it's like, um, you, me and mm. you speak about that all the time. We do. Do, you, do you relate to that? Oh, definitely, definitely. And that's the thing. I can get really excited just because I'm like, I really love the organization that, that wants to work with me. And sure. I, I just, I want to contribute. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. You know, I probably don't have enough of a business mind around it. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And maybe if there's any business people listening, like yeah. Shane and I could both yeah. do with some <laughs> coaching. We're, this is not a business podcast. Just giving everybody. Yeah, don't take up. business tips. Yeah. <laughs> just, this, is, this is really, yeah, not going to get it. But it's me. so funny funny because even like I even did um I did a consult like I trained a team of um Mm. designers yeah on trauma-informed practice like that is not something I ever thought I'd be doing you know like these weird things come up it was they were I don't want to criticize any clients but they were some of my best clients because they I think they were so open to learning and it was something Mm. so unique for them it's not every day they get to go to trauma-informed training yeah yeah so that was actually a really cool group of people to train and they asked some amazing questions yeah yeah so I really enjoyed that but it's just things like this and I'm like if I sat down and planned that at the start of the year I would not have written um, a team of like web designers and graphic designers as a client, you know? Totally, yeah. totally, totally, yeah. totally. But that's the beauty of it, you know, like you just, um, yeah, you just go with, you go with the flow and if you can, you you make decisions through the the, the lens of your values, mm, I guess, and, mm-hmm. and you've got to know what they are, right? Yeah, like oh, I think for sure. I'd give that to... I, I don't hand out advice to people, but if yep. I was to mm. do it, it'd be something along those lines. Oh, right? definitely, like, definitely. You know, um, but a lot of people don't know their values because mm. it's because it is a bit of an exploration. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. No, that was a huge that. part of... Uh, it's really interesting that you brought up values as well because yeah. for me, um, like every stage of my career, mm. every every choice I've made has been a values-based decision yeah. when I've like changed something in my career. And I've like yeah. really reflected on that a lot um, mm. in every decision I've made that's made a big change. Yeah. Um. So even going from teaching, like like I adored my time in the classroom, mm. um, and I thought that I would do it forever. I actually was one of those people that was like, I'm going to work in alternative schools forever, and yep. I will teach. Like I don't want to be a leader. I want to teach. Yeah. Um. And I was like really happy, um, even at the eight year mark. Mm. Um. Mm. And then it was sort of this leadership opportunity was like being kind of offered to me well not offered to me but I was being encouraged to apply mm, mm. um and I, I was saying no because I was like you know I'm so happy doing what I'm doing mm, mm. but then I lost sleep over it <laughs> mm. like I got pitched this thing where there was a school I knew the school they were in a bit of a crisis they wanted someone who was in the field to come in and like step into a leadership role never yeah. led before but I knew the field and I kind of like started losing sleep thinking about what I could do for that school like starting mm, to get ideas mm. not that I could do it but just ideas that I could bring forward right and I was like I was like, fuck, that's a leader, you know, like you need to go give that a go. So I had to like retract my no (laughs) and then put my hat back in and go, no, I've got some ideas because I care about what's happening to those kids at that school. Yeah. Um, You know, it was a very values based decision. It was kind of like for me, I always think about my values as being like community and making Mm. a difference. And I'm Mm. like, if if I, yeah, and I'll talk about that maybe when you get to those last questions that I know are coming. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah, I like, I really, every step of the way, um, I I think of those values a lot. And then I think about that magical childhood idea Mm -hmm. and I kind of put that Mm -hmm. all together. So it was like, yeah, getting into um, leadership was very much about that. It was kind of like, I can't, 
I can't just keep teaching because I enjoy it so much. Like mm. I need to think about the bigger picture here. And I, I went and did it and I, I missed teaching so much. Yeah, um, but yeah, then it was, yeah. the, then my leadership roles got bigger over time and it kept being through that lens of, well, you know, can this, can I do more for this community right now? Mm. And can I make more of a difference by, by changing what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was the same thing to step away from the school as tough as it was because I loved the kids so much. Yeah. Um, it was, it came down to the values choice again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Let's take it back a little bit. Ooh. So let's go back to <laughs> Meigs, little Meigs when you were a kid. Yeah. Um, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Oh, are you stealing my questions yep. early? Yeah, I'm going to do it early. Yep. All right. We're embedding the uh, final five questions early. Oh, I know. I'm doing it a bit too early. Should no, I you do f- it later? Oh, oh no, you can okay. do it. You're the host. You can do whatever okay. you like. No, you know what? I'm chucking it in there right now. All right. Yeah, right cool. Now. And then we'll, we'll do we'll do four questions at the end. All right. Because you know what? This is my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's been <Right>. hijacked. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you want to be as a um, kid? Yeah, interesting. When I was really little, I wanted to be a vet. Okay. Because I loved animals, still do. Um, yeah. yeah, and I just wanted to help animals. Yeah. But then as soon as I realized that vets spend so long putting animals down, like that's probably the bulk of their day. I yeah, don't know. Right. But, or seeing animals suffer. I was just yeah. like, I can't do that. <laughs> like yeah. I can absolutely not be sitting there with animals while they're suffering. That's just yeah. not, I would be a wreck. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So do you feel like, do you feel like there's any connection to what you wanted to be when you were younger and what you do now? Like are you the connection to the feeling of its empathy or Well, it definitely is, but I, I feel like there's lines. a really poor joke I can make yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, you could make the joke. I mean, do it. You, might get, ca- really... you might get cancelled. Like, I know, know, I know. You never know these days. <laughs> but I, I find it really ironic that um, when I talk about that, I say I couldn't sit with animals while they're suffering. Yeah. But then I know it a lot in my work. I've had to sit with young people and human beings when they're suffering. Yeah. Um, and I, for some reason, can bring my my strength and my compassion to the human space. Okay. Yeah. Whereas I don't know, like, why I couldn't do that in the animal space. Like, it's a very interesting thing where I look at where I've ended up, and I'm like, well, mm. there is a lot of suffering in the work that in the field. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my time has been spent alongside a young person while they're in a mm. really challenging situation. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. So I won't make a joke. I'll just actually say that for some reason I can bring my strength to the human. That's work. really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there is, yeah, that, there is somewhat there is. of a connection. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There is yeah. somewhat of a and connection. And maybe it's to do with the um, relational skill. Like maybe it's actually to do with the human being actually being able to talk to me about what their experience is or me being able to recognize my own experience in them or, you know, you can bring that relational skill into it. Whereas with an animal, it's sort of like you can't, um, you know, you can't talk them through it. They can't talk to you about what they're going through. And maybe I would find that too hard. Yeah. 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 yeah, Like my compassion is easier in this space with the the humans. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. 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 So whereabouts did you grow up? Like if you were talking about it as you like whereabouts did you grow up? Because you didn't grow up in Melbourne. No, I didn't. Yeah. So I grew up in regional Victoria, mm. in Wodonga, um, yep. on the border of Victoria, New South Wales. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was born there, born in the Wodonga Hospital. Um, yeah, grew up in that area all the time. And when I was talking about my grandparents before, um, when I was about four or five, I think I was about five. They bought an amazing property out on the lake near our hometown, mm. like five acre property, um, built this amazing house to like kind of be the, the center of the family in a way where like they could yeah. house their grandkids. They could, um, we all, all could camp there. We could do whatever we needed to. Mm. Um, yeah. And had like access to the lake and yeah. So really beautiful, like little haven, I guess, to go to in my childhood as well. And that's where a lot of those magical childhood experiences took place for me. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so going, like seeing that that was a magical, had a big part of your childhood, what do you think that brought you across to Melbourne? Yeah, interesting. I, I think it was the idea that, um, I don't know, like I guess when you're a young person and you grew up in a regional space, sometimes mm. that regional space might not feel big enough <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, for yeah. what you want to explore or what you want to learn and do. Um, yeah, so I, I felt like I was outgrowing what I, what I could do there. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to, yeah, see what else was out there, I guess, at the same time. So, yeah. yeah. And there yeah. was part of me that, like, when I even went to study, um, yeah, I kind of sat on the fence of social work or teaching. Like, I knew yeah. for some reason that there was something in me that wanted to work with people mm. and mm. potentially people experiencing maybe some sort of disadvantage or challenge. Um, yeah, and I chose teaching because 
to me, that was the almost more hopeful out of the two. It's yep. sort of like you can still work alongside those people, but you're giving them, you're opening a door to them for mm. their future. Mm. Um, and you can sit in that hopeful space every day with them where mm. like doors are opening through education. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think knowing that that was the work and the fields I wanted to be in. Um, yeah. Melbourne was probably a better space for, for opportunity and for, for doing that work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So stepping into that <laughs> space, what do you think? was one of the, the key drivers for you to step towards, I say social work or teaching, but, mm. you, you know, like the, it sounds like you're coming from the same space. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, like emotionally in that space. What, what drew you towards that? It's so interesting because I, I often reflect on that period of time to try and figure that out, like yeah. that decision. Um, and because even when I was studying teaching, I actually was really bored in my undergrad, to be honest. And yeah. I, I really sat there kind of being like, I don't want to be that kind of teacher. <laughs> like I would learn something mm. and be like, nah, like it just wasn't landing for me. Mm. Um, but I knew at the end I wanted to have the qualification to do something different with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was this really interesting thing where I was like, why am I here? Like I often questioned being in the, in the teaching degree yeah. um, at the time. Um, but yeah, I was really sort of lost when I finished school. Um, it was this weird thing where like I actually was like scoring well at school without, like I, I didn't love school that much, but I was somehow achieving okay results Mm, um but mm. i chose not to apply for uni at the time Mm. and i was getting so much pressure from teachers and from careers counselors and to to apply and Mm. i I would have made a really poor choice because i had no idea what i wanted to do Mm, mm. um so i just didn't apply and they were like really stressed about that and they were kind of saying if you don't apply now you'll never go like all the stats say that the research will say that and I was just like, I'm going to go when I'm ready <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Um, and I will and I'll do whatever I want. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I didn't have a goal. I didn't have a plan at the end of high school. And then the teachers got so worried about it that one of them called me. I didn't even really know her that well. And she, she teed me up with a job for when I finished school at an accounting firm wow. <laughs> to like do the reception work and to do like admin and stuff. Um, and so I started that job thinking, oh, how amazing I get to work in an office. I'm 18, like how glamorous to go and work in an office mm, at 18 mm, years old while mm. all my friends are still in retail studying and poor. Mm. Um, and I hated every single day that mm, I went into that mm. office and sat behind that desk, mm. um, and worked with people crunching numbers. It was not me. And so it was in that few months of like having that job that I was like, all right, I need to decide something here. Like I need to find out, mm. um, what would actually energize me. And, um, I quit that job and I went and bartended. And it was through the bartending that I was like, it's people, like I have to work with people. Mm, mm, um, and I think mm. even in a bar, you can work with some pretty dysregulated behavior and yeah. people that are experiencing challenging yeah. times. And yeah, and I think I yeah, I kind of reflected through that period of time of it's got to be with people. Mm, mm. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what called me really to the social work or teaching side of it, but I just knew it was people was the answer for sure. Mm, mm. And, and it's sort of like you landed in both, I know. Anyway, I right. know. That was the thing. I feel like even getting that first job, um, that was like, yeah, getting that first job in the alternative school. I was like, I literally felt like I got my dream job straight up. Mm, yeah. Mm, and I really mm, did. You know, mm, I really mm. did. It wasn't easy, but yeah, I really, that was the dream and I got it. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah. And so what was the first role? Yeah, so my graduate teaching position was actually yep. at the Berry Street School. Yeah, see, um, right at- there. You landed right in the... Oh, social work teaching. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, why not go to a, you know, a, an organisation <laughs> that provides out-of-home care, like yeah. housing, and a yeah. school for those kids yeah, in out-of-home yeah, yeah. care. Yeah. Um, so when I got that job too, every single student in our school at the time was in out-of-home care. So mm. it was a school only for out-of-home care young people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was a very, like, very deep end uh, mm. school to land in. Mm. Um, cause yeah, I'd say, I think like there was only two students who weren't in residential care. They were in foster care mm. and the rest were actually in residential care and they were attending our school. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a very, um, it was like a baptism by fire in a way of learning the skills that I needed to, uh, be able to not only teach these young people, but to, uh, deescalate potentially challenging situations and violence and, mm. and learn about their worlds really quickly too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, because I was pretty young at the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and you know, something that always interests me about you, Meigs, is you went, you did your teaching, you did all of that, and then you moved into studying positive psychology. Mm. Um, f- two questions that there'd be a lot of people even listening to this that would go, what's the difference between 
psychology and positive mm. psychology. So that's the first question. Let's park <laughs> yeah. that for a second and yeah. we'll come back to it. Yeah. And then what was it that moved you towards doing positive psychology mm. being in your teaching role? Mm. So maybe let's go first to what's the difference between the two? Yeah, yeah. Both great questions. Yeah. Um, so I don't want anyone to be too jarred by the language. I get jarred by the language yep. sometimes because um, positive psychology can just sound like positive thinking, mm-hmm. um, ignoring the negative a bit fluffy Mm -hmm. um yeah so ultimately psychology had a a lot of goals when it was first established as a field in science um and one of those goals was actually to make life better and to look at what makes life worth living Mm -hmm. um but then our world wars happened and then there was so much trauma um it became very focused on curing um mental illness essentially Mm -hmm. and like working in trauma um and like that's where the, the funding and the research had to be at the time because like we were in a pretty bad situation as a human species at the time just mm-hmm. to look at how much mm-hmm. suffering was going on mm-hmm. um so there's an absolute huge place for like diagnosis the dsm-5 all of that stuff is like traditional psychology yeah um but yeah then there's a place obviously as well for like looking at well-being mm-hmm. like how can we improve our lives how can we implement things that are going to make our day-to-day living better How can we collectively do that? How can we do that for organisations and schools? Um, And that's really where positive psychology sits, is looking at the um, wellbeing science, essentially. Um, And then why did I do it? Great question. Yeah, the connection to Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like um, when I looked at the positive psychology world and I was following it for a while, um, I think I had a bit of a personal sort of experience of um, just improving myself and my own experience of my day-to-day life through Mm. a lot of gratitude practice. Um, and I was following along some post psych work. Mm. And what I was really curious about was it started off in very privileged spaces. Mm. Um, it was very much like a, um, so like grammar schools were getting positive psycho- psychology implemented. Um, some fairly well-established organizations, some like universities obviously is where it often starts. Mm. Um, and I kind of was looking at it going like, where, where are my students in this? Like, why mm. are they like not in this world? Like, is the door going to be open to them as well? Is there a place for having trauma and having access to positive psychology as well. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see how the worlds could intersect. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't want my students or someone who has experienced trauma um, to only have access to like support when they're in a clinical state. I also wanted them to know that they could have um, a development of wellbeing skills at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I kind of dived into it and felt at times a little bit out of place <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in, in the course, to be honest as well, because I was often in there talking about trauma and, and wanting to see where this was all placed. By the time I studied it, like there was second and third waves of research coming through of post-psych um, that was more around post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and looking at the dual experience of having like maybe mental illness while also working on your wellbeing skill development. Um, so it was starting to get a place. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I did sometimes kind of sit there being like, I've really got to fight to to get this on the table a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. right. And what's yeah. that what was that like? Because that sounds really like in a in a way pretty pretty profound in settings where they weren't really talking about mm. it. Like pretty profound to be bring those those I don't know how they would have viewed them but like being so foreign to what they're doing yeah yeah. what was it like to 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 bring that in um I I know obviously you'd say exciting for you but (laughs) what what was it like originally to bring those concepts I think I was lucky at the time that there was it was starting to happen like it was already there was a like there was a kind of a oh well this is welcome here we want this here Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think I was kind of lucky in that way. And then the cohort that I studied alongside, like I had some incredible people to meet and to learn from as well, yeah. um, who were always, yeah, like just curious and smart and yeah, really open. Yeah, um, yeah so I had just great people around me at the time as well. Um, but I looked at it all really through that um, lens of belonging. So what I was, re- I got really curious about in that period of time um, was looking at how belonging, so belonging is like really big in the post site mm. kind mm-hmm. of world, mm-hmm. um, could actually be a healing um, element or like be the, the key to healing for young people in out-of-home care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to look at, yeah, if they could find a sense of belonging in where they're living, yeah. like stable housing, yeah. let them live there as long as possible, um, and then also in their schooling environment. So let mm-hmm. them find a school and attach and let them be there. Don't kick them out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if, if you could give them belonging that then we could actually see some healing start to happen um, and also some motivation for them to meet their own needs from there. So mm-hmm. like get out mm-hmm. of that service reliance model and really get into that place of going, um, you know, I can actually start meeting my own needs here as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. And you were a leader in a lot of these spaces. So 
what was it like to you know communicate um this kind of practice to other practitioners other teachers Mm. like i know that that was such a big part of your work and i know it was received positively Mm. um but what was that like because it feels like it it could have been something new you know to the spaces Mm. that you were in um yeah it was it was a really interesting time i feel like i was really lucky that um I was studying and then I was in leadership at like around the same time yeah, okay. and got to play around with it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it was almost like I got to test run my own theories and stuff. Yeah, very <laughs> I'd just cool. be like, you know what? Every decision we make for these young people, we're going to make it through the lens of belonging. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. are we making the right call here? Like, do they feel like they belong when we make that call? Like mm-hmm. I, I was kind of putting mm-hmm. that lens on every decision that I was making as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, the space I wanted to really get into though was like the out-of-home care space with this idea because I feel like young people in out-of-home care get moved way too much mm. um, and they don't get to establish a sense of belonging. Mm. Um, and that is so damaging, like the amount of houses these kids live in and they get packed up very quickly without notice. Um, that instability in their in their homes and not having access to the same predictable adults over time, mm. that's the space where it really needs to happen. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And I know me and you, we've spoken about this so many times, like... Um, this whole idea of not just um, not just getting not just working with young people so they can cope, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. so giving them coping strategies and things like which I'm not going to knock. Oh no, knock them. It, you know, there's a yeah. place for it for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's communicated as that's the only thing yeah. that is to be done because people are too traumatized to mm. go to spaces of well-being and all yeah, of that, which, yeah. uh, you know, I'm going to call it right now is yeah. just not true. I and know. we speak about this yeah. all the time. Um, but this is this is uh, this is not me being interviewed. So I want to no, no, from no, your going, no, yeah, no. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. it's just that that whole idea of. Uh, or even on the other end, right? Like where people can say, "Oh, you know, that young person—they're uh, so resilient. Mm. Oh, they're so strong. Mm. They're so resilient. They've survived everything that they've gone through. And how good yeah. is that?" And then you speak to the young person, and they're like, "I, I don't feel strong, no, and I don't no feel choice. resilient." And it seems like no one listens to me on yeah. the, in, in that space. They either think that I can't do anything, or um, uh, I'm not learning anything. Yeah. You know, I don't actually feel like I'm, you know, I've got no skills of resilience or skills of well-being, or, you know, to yeah. support my own well-being. That's right. What was your experience like that in mm. combating that? Because that can sometimes be what we're up against in a yeah, system. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I was so lucky. There was this amazing piece of work that I came across that really like switched gears for me. And then I was able to be like, there's a theory, there's research, there's yeah. backing here. So I'm going to like preach this as much as I need to. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's a um, model called the dual mental health model and right. it's from Corey Keys. And it was the first time where I was like, finally, like this lands and this works. Mm. Um, but it, it recognizes that we can have a mental illness experience at the same time we can learn well-being skills and we can yeah. improve our well-being um, despite a diagnosis of mental illness mm-hmm. um, and really looking for the right place and the right fit for that as well and how we can like kind of work our way up the well-being line. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, obviously, the mental illness line, it's going to need clinical intervention or whatever it's going to need as well. There's going to need to be wraparound support there. But it yeah. doesn't mean we can't be accessing well-being skills at the same time. And as soon as I found that, I'm like, this is going in every bit of training I run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you know, this yeah. is really key stuff here. Yeah. Um, and I, I kept that lens every time I work with young people as well. And I know you and I, even in your podcast, we talked about the place of things like gratitude when you're depressed, you know, yeah, um, yeah and how that can shift so much. And gratitude is a well-being practice. It's a well-being yeah. skill. Yeah. 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 So the more we can give people language of well-being and skills of well-being, the more they can support themselves out of these places as well. And yeah. yeah and the skill set's really important to develop. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you do a lot of this with practitioners and the importance of having, you know, to, to live it, right? Yeah. To live this, you know, you, we talk about well-being or like for, for practitioners that do, mm. um, that, are, that, that are, you know, they've drunk the Kool-Aid, they're, they're in, mm. like they, they, they want to practice this work. Yeah. But, but what about them? You know, what mm-hmm. What are they living? Yeah. Um, and the importance of that, I, I want to touch on a, just a couple of things with you. The importance of that for their own well-being, but also um, to, to offer, you know, 
a good practice. I won't say best because I think we always have to strive to get to best. But to offer good practice to people is if we are asking people to do things, mm. how are we doing it mm-hmm. ourselves? What do, how do you feel that that's important? Oh, my gosh. It's like the key to everything, honestly. I always say, like, no matter which group I'm working with, like, if you're not doing this and don't do it with the young people yet, Mm. um, you need to be living and breathing it before you do it with the young people. And don't ask young people to do something you're not doing yourself anyway. Yeah. Um, And it's the same around wellbeing too. So even in the, like, wellbeing model that I've developed for staff, it's very much trauma-informed. So it's like, um, you know, let's acknowledge that trauma-informed practice is actually really good practice. But also, you're working with trauma-affected young people Um, And I'm not going to guess your experience either. You may have had trauma too. Mm. So let's be trauma informed in the way we approach well-being as well. Mm. Um, And just so you're practicing that skill set before you actually then go and do it with a young person as well. So around like knowing your own regulation and your own nervous system. um, So then you can support young people to learn the same about themselves. Yeah, I I never would do something with young people if I hadn't done it myself Mm. um, first Mm. as well. And I used to teach them about my own triggers and my own um, dysregulation and my own regulation strategies as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, I'm like, why would I tell them that they've got those if I don't have them too? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And touching on that, though, so what, you know, for somebody that delivers this, you do this day to day, and, you know, it could be a broad question, but take it how it is. But how do you support your own well-being? Yeah, no, good question. Um, I, I see this as an experiment too, a constantly mm. changing experiment. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I get different practices going at different times for different reasons. Um, but that's what's so cool about the wellbeing idea though, is like having your own toolkit, mm. um, that, you mm. know, you can pull from and do different things as they emerge or when you need them. Mm. Um, yeah, so mine's, mine evolves a little bit, but to me, there's a few keys as well. Um, so exercise is a huge one. Mm. Um, and it's not going to be a surprise if anyone's heard any episode, I've probably mentioned boxing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we actually haven't been talking about boxing. Like I, I tried to hold myself back, but of course yeah. you were going to bring it in anyway. Um, but boxing is an incredible one because yeah. one movement's just yeah. incredible anyway. I think moving the body, like that, the blood flow, the endorphins, the different chemical releases, obviously key. Yeah. Um, but yeah, something like boxing though, and I, like I know we talked about it a little bit, but just that idea of the regulation I get out of it as well. Um, mm. So it's a pattern repetitive rhythmic activity that really can like speak to my nervous system and my, my body as well. So yeah, I kind of get a sense that I'm really safe after a boxing session as well. Cause I've been engaging in that rhythmic activity for so long and I come mm. out so calm, um, able to access cognitive part of my brain. And yeah, it's just such a good thing for me to do. Um, mm. And it's so cool too, cause it also pushes your boundaries, tests your comfort zone um, so I just think that that's so good for your well-being too. Like you learn a lot about yourself in a place like a boxing gym. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a big one and that'll probably sit in my practice for a long time to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, lately I've been doing a lot of um, cold therapy. So mm. it's winter at the moment. I do live close to the beach. I go and jump in the cold water most days, yeah. which is amazing. Like I love it. Um, yeah. So movement, cold water, meditation, um, and I'm very much an appreciative person. Like I express my appreciation and gratitude a lot. So I'll, mm. I'll journal it and document it. Um, but I like to express it as well. And I share it around people in my, in my world. If I appreciate them, they'll know. Yeah. 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 Oh, so good. Man. Yeah. But all of those things you can, you know, as you said, versatile and practice them, mm. you know, people practice, you, you learn in your own ways. And like you said, it's experiment and journey. It right? is. That's like right. It really, really yeah. just is. And if something gets stale, it's like, it's okay that it got stale. Yeah. Just like replace it with something different. Try something new. Cause that's really fun. Yeah. It's yeah. like when people say, oh, meditation doesn't work. I'm like, there's a million ways to meditate. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you, you find the thing that works for you. Exactly. Um, you know, and I think we've talked about it before, like me- boxing can be a meditative mm. practice or, you know, things like that, yeah. painting, um, taking photos, walking, oh, or whatever it might be. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, finding it in your own ways and going on a bit of a journey with it. Yeah. 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 And do you feel, um, how do you feel that that's altered your life? Um, yeah. Great question. Um, I think that I like... I think I'm a much calmer person. Like mm. I feel like I know myself a lot more than I used to. Yeah. Um, and I'm constantly learning about myself and learning to know myself more. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm very calm and it may, means that I can be more responsive yeah. um, to the people around me and, and to what, what's coming up and more creative. Um, yeah, I think that that's really the benefits of it, really. It's mm. just like wanting to be able to bring my best self to whatever space I'm in, like whether it's interacting mm. with friends or whether it's actually at work. 
Mm. Um, yeah, just being able to show up. Yeah. yeah, 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 and just being aware of what's there. You know, even if it's not the best day in the world, being aware of what's there and, and knowing to give it attention is is really important. Yeah, let's open up that for a second because mm. I think that's really an important part to mm. to consider as. Uh, people talk about well-being and they're waiting for everything to be mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, and one of the really interesting things about you, Megs, is you, you've worked in the not great, you know, <laughs> in that in that space yeah. and and experienced it yourself in, in 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 a range of ways. How important is it to lean on well-being when things are really tough rather than just waiting for things to be good Mm, that's such an interesting one too um because i know i know for some people that are in a struggle yeah um that sometimes practicing and practicing and practicing can feel like it's got it's got no end as well Mm. um so i'm aware that that can feel that way as well Mm. um but yeah i just feel like having having resources and knowing that i can influence myself and influence my experience is really really powerful um, and being okay that it's okay. It's okay if you're not okay. Yeah. Like it's absolutely fine. We all are going to have those times and those days and longer periods of times of not being okay as well. Yeah. Um, but just knowing that like there are little things that I can do just to shift part of my day is even just like really powerful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And that even if you wake up and you feel like it's going to be a bad day, it doesn't have to stay as a bad day. Yeah. But you might have one moment in your day that was really hard. doesn't mm. mean the whole day was really hard. I think just like having that, that separation as well of just knowing that you can influence a, a bit of a shift at any point in time. Yeah. Even if it's a slight shift, it might be really small, but mm. that toolkit is there for that. Yeah, that it's accessible, yeah, right? It is, that's right. That it's accessible. That, that it's it is. not. Yeah, it's um, not, we're not talking like expensive things. We're not talking hard yeah. things to learn. Yeah. We're not talking about getting a degree to get there. Yeah. We're talking about really small practices. So before we we close up it'd be really and do a couple of these pretty <laughs> cool questions um uh what are some of those small things that you could share um for for, for listeners like in just some go-tos a couple of go-tos that someone might be like oh you know i wouldn't mind starting my journey i know that i've got to go and learn a whole bunch of things but i don't know where to start what are mm. some of some some places that they could start yeah really good question i feel like um regulation is key like i feel like like and i'm not saying you have to be regulated all the time that's definitely not what i mean but i think it's like understanding your nervous system like learning to like listen to it to read it to hear it to feel it um and just like tapping into that and like yeah just being aware of what's happening for that are you feeling a certain way is there a physiological sensation going on for a reason mm. um and then just knowing what to do with that so there's so many different ways to regulate as well so i think just being like yeah tapping into what the feelings are like what's the sensations and the physiological experience um and then getting strategies around like how to support yourself to bring it to where you want it to be to function best that day um so for me like that cold dip Nothing's going to like shock your nervous system into action more than that. Um, but also, yeah, breathing ex- exercises, any rhythmic activities, they're all going to help with that nervous system and that regulation. So bringing ourselves down to a pretty regulated state. Yeah. So like choosing something you really enjoy because rhythmic activities are really should be really fun. There's so many good mm. ones like drumming and, um, you know, skipping and drum- jumping on a trampoline or boxing or yeah, art, like even coloring <laughs> yeah, in. I don't know, I'll yeah. just say boxing till the end of the day. Yeah, but, um, yeah. yeah, like any, like coloring in any of these yeah. things, like they will really like give it a go and just see how calm you might feel afterwards, which one worked for you. Yeah, yeah. so just finding a strategy that just when that, that kind of anxious energy comes up, yeah. tap into one of those strategies. I think you've said it perfectly because it's there's that whole idea of, you know, you've given a couple of really useful, useful things to consider, but it is such a journey of of, cho- of choice and what that feels for you at the time. And I really like when you said before that it's okay for things to get old and stale and mm. to try new things afterwards. It's not that it just doesn't work. Yeah. Because of because of that, um, to you know, maybe your nervous system needs something else or, or exactly. whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and I can't suggest more cold therapy how 
incredible it is. I know everyone hates the idea of jumping <laughs> into a cold shower. Yeah. But I guarantee you it's the feeling afterwards, right? Oh, it's Isn't so it? Good. It's like if you, to be honest, <laughs> I don't know if you ever get used to jumping in. Although I don't mind it now, like doing that kind of stuff. Oh, I think it gets better every day. Yeah. Like I honestly, like I don't get a shock yeah. now. So I kind of almost want it to be colder. <laughs> I've got one of those um plunge baths yeah. where I put um big sheets of ice yeah, nice. through it. Um, because I want to replicate that, like that yeah. cold sea yeah. that you're talking about, because yeah. it's probably similar temperatures. You've literally got to put ice in it yeah. to get to as cold as what you're talking about in the yeah. ocean. Um, but the feeling that you get afterwards, it really oh, does so regulate good. you. Well, to be honest, there's like, look, I'm not just suggesting people have tried this, but it's very similar to cocaine, but it lasts longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, cocaine, yeah. apparently you'll get about 25 minutes, whereas a cold plunge for like five minutes, you'll get two and a half hours of yeah, dopamine. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. And, <laughs> but you know what's really interesting? It's like um, is people go, oh, I don't want to do it. And I'm like, I always say to people, and maybe this isn't for everyone, but I always say, you know, when you get in a warm shower and you walk out, you jump out and, and you're crazy. Cold, yeah. And I'm like, well, imagine the opposite way around. That's the cellar of a cold cold shower or yeah, something like that. So and start with a cold shower yeah. if you don't want to do the whole ice yeah, thing because it's yeah. winter. It's The water's pretty cold. It'll give you a pretty yeah. good sensation. And anyway. like how good is it to do something that sounds so hard? Yeah, no. Like get comfortable is. being uncomfortable and you will smash the rest of your day. Oh, what a way to finish. Yeah, do <laughs> do things that are uncomfortable. Yeah, like yeah. I think that that's the, that's the key. Yeah. Break out of that comfort zone mm. um, to truly lean into growth. Growth 100%. should be uncomfortable. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, not traumatic, uncomfortable. Yeah, like yeah, very no. different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> very yeah. different, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right, Meeks, let's get into some of these questions. <laughs> oh, I wonder what they are. So good. Yeah, I know. Jeez. Well, we got we know that you wanted to be a, a veterinarian. Yeah, you got that. Um, as a kid. So, um, what are your top two values? Yeah, I did touch on them, but maybe I'll expand on why or what yeah, they mean sure. to me, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, they're definitely community and making yeah. a difference. Yeah. Um, and when I talk about community, I think for me, that's about not only um, – being part of community, but also mm. just building community mm. and celebrating community. Um, so for me, that's about really valuing the people that are close to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like making sure, like, so for me, like a huge part of who I am is to like host dinners and bring people together um, and to, yeah, share my appreciation of my friends and things like that. So I think like um, valuing the people that are who I would call my community. Um, but then, yeah, bigger than that, it was kind of like working in schools, you know, I'd like, being part of a community and making sure the young people in that community also had value in that community as well. Mm, like yeah. everyone has a place to contribute yeah. um, in community. Yeah. So I think for me, it's like establishing community and nurturing it um, is really big and really part mm. of who I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the other one was making a difference. And I think it just informs when I make a decision, is it going to make a good difference or not? Like, yeah. so when I'm making a, a Wagtail Institute decision, or even just when I'm making a decision around, you know, a relationship or close friends. I like to think about whether it's going to make a positive, a positive difference as well. So it just informs my decision-making, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, all choices I make will be around those two values really. Yeah. Great. Great. Do you ever find just as a quick question off the back of that question, but just a quick (laughs) one is um, I often talk to people about this as values are okay to adjust and change. Oh, for sure. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I feel like mine change every year, but they mm. are along the same track all mm. the time. But um, especially if you're orientated in what you're talking about, like action-based values, mm. not sort of like, mm. oh, loyalty, respect. That's great. Don't yeah, get me yeah, wrong. Yeah. But until they're action-based, they're, yeah. they're just words yeah, yeah. that make you feel that you connect to. Yeah. Um, but... Do you find that your values um, change or interchange? I'd say those two have been pretty solid pretty for a solid. long time. Okay. Yeah, but others definitely change over yeah, time okay. for sure. Yeah, yeah but yeah, those yeah. two have been like at the core and I've really tried to explore why and I've been really curious gotcha. about where they came from. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've dug really deep on those two and I've held yeah. on to them for a long time and it's not a struggle to hold on to them. Yeah, um, yeah so I think if, they, if it didn't feel right, I'd let them go. But yeah, yeah I feel like they inform all everything I do. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm already laughing at this. <laughs> this is so good. Oh, I kind of just love that I'm asking you this question. 
if you were going to have a boxing fight, what would be your what would your walkout song be? Well, interesting. <laughs> Megan has had a boxing fight. And she did have a walkout song. What was that song, Biggs? Oh, dear. So <laughs> when I did my boxing uh, fight, I actually, well, yeah, there's a story behind the song choice and even the fight name that I had. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You, you're revealing all of it. Like. Yeah, I know. Well, look, it might be the only time I sit in this chair. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, so my walkout song was Gangster's Paradise by Coolio. By Coolio, rest in peace. Yeah, so, um, but my fight name was actually Corcoran Punishment. Oh my so, God, <laughs> so good. So the two kind of went together a little bit, you know, it was kind of that theme of being like the rough and tough teacher, you know, come out to Gangster's Paradise and give someone some Corcoran Punishment. I love it, it's so good. And you had like a whole fan base oh. there and everything, it was great. Like banners, everything, <laughs> yeah, jeez. Yeah, but look, if I was going to, if I had to choose a new fight song, you know, I, I feel like I should choose a new fight song. <laughs> no, I think it was perfect. Right, I don't know what you're talking about. Song, it's, it's a, a career, career walkout song. <laughs> Coolio Gangster's Paradise. All right. Um, if you could ca- collaborate with anyone in your work, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, yeah. It's so funny that I ask everyone these questions and I actually haven't pre-prepared my own answers. (laughs) But for me, it would definitely be Gabor Mate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just like so much knowledge there. And I can listen to him talk all day mm. um so i'm not sure what would maybe i'll maybe i'll try and get him on the podcast aim mm-hmm. big you know maybe that's how we can totally, collaborate yeah i'll reach out and i'll see what yeah, happens yeah we're gonna go back to this podcast and <laughs> you actually you're gonna talk to him about this podcast <laughs> right now <laughs> that's really cool what a what do you think uh, what, a, what 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 brings you to him oh there's so much knowledge there about mm. trauma like yeah. and i just feel like um yeah, there's just so much that was missing before his voice was on the scene around it as well. Yeah. Um, and he just like, yeah, his last book was incredible, The Myth of Normal. Yeah. I just think it challenges so much of like that idea of like, often we feel like something's gone wrong for us, you know, like there's something wrong with me, but really mm. our societal conditions don't allow for people to thrive very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of not surprising that people aren't doing so well when our medical system and our, like, you know, <laughs> our capitalist world mm-hmm. is asking mm-hmm. certain things of us that really go against our human instincts and our humanness. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's so much about trauma there, but there's just so much about being a human being in mm-hmm. his work. And I just think, mm-hmm. yeah, so even I know he's on so many podcasts and I'm not sure what new angle I could get from him. <laughs> <laughs> but I would try. I'd try and ask him something that no one's ever asked him before. Maybe he would find out what his walkout song would yeah. be. <laughs> hey, I bet you nobody's ever asked him that. You never know. You never know. You never know. He might have, he may have been a boxer when he was younger and he's just he's just kept got, that, he kept, kept it all secret. Yeah, he kept it all secret. Very cool, very cool. Um if you could make one recommendation as the key to healing, what would it be? Mm. Yeah, good question. The key to healing. Hmm. I feel like I've touched on it a little bit, but I'd say, I don't know. I was going to say it's around the nervous system. I really think it's about, well, not even just the nervous system, but the the um, connection between body and mind. It's like, don't ignore it. Mm-hmm. If there's something mm-hmm. going wrong in the body, like check the mind at the same time. Same if there's yeah. something going wrong in the mind, be aware of what's, what it's feeling like in the body too. Just yeah. like getting more aware, like being having a lot of awareness about what's what the experience is. Mm. Um, going on for us and then yeah just learning ways to work with it not necessarily against it yeah yeah Yeah. very cool yeah very cool well thanks Meeks oh well thank you I I appreciate you taking that seat tonight well I enjoyed it I really enjoyed it because I think that me and you talk quite a lot but I think that I I definitely learned a lot tonight and I think a lot of people listening to this will learn a lot and it's nice to see you on the other side I think (laughs) um, than asking the questions because uh, you are an extremely interesting person and talented person and you're doing incredible work uh, in the sector and beyond Um, but I think uh, I'd see that when I say that beyond as well because when you said community I've known you to be that person um, that doesn't just bring it to your work, but you bring it outside of your work as well um, to your community. I know community is a big part of your work as mm. well, but um, I definitely see you living that. So um, I appreciate you asking me to 
be on this side uh, of the podcast. And, um, yeah, I hope everyone enjoys. Yeah. I, I'm sure that they'll enjoy it. Oh, look, it's a Shane Hood, Megan Cochran collaboration Yeah, again, you know, I'm just sure. another one, you know. <laughs> look, And, you know, I'm just going to tell everybody listening, I had all of these questions that I was going to ask Megan and I didn't ask her one of them. So we just free-flowed and that was really yeah. nice. He and scared I think me. That... He came in with this whole, like, brainstorm board of questions yeah. and showed me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, you know, maybe we can run another podcast where I ask you all of these questions where we get the deep truths of Megan Corcoran. Yeah. Um, but I think we got probably some of the really deep ones when we got to the Corcoran punishment. And I think that that was probably one of the deepest ones there. So And the Coolio walkout song. So I think that was pretty cool. Um, thanks, Megs. So no, thank great. Thank you so much for hosting me. I love it. Awesome. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, just before we do go, I know you probably already talk about this on your podcast, but just as a quick go-to, where can people find your work? Oh, great question. Um, yeah, so my website is uh, wagtailinstitute.com. So you can find everything you need to know about the work there. Um, also on Instagram, it's like wagtail.institute. Um, and then you can also find me, a lot of my work's on LinkedIn. So under my name, Megan Corcoran. Um, not as big as Shane on LinkedIn. Oh, stop but, um, yeah, you so <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> but, you know, I'm still there. I'm still yeah. working in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, awesome, 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 awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Megs. No, thank you so much. Awesome. Cool. Is that how we're finishing it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop. I'll stop it now. <laughs> thank you, wonderful listeners, for making it right to the end of the podcast. We appreciate you. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, give us a rating. We'll be dropping a new episode roughly once per fortnight, so you can stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.